Hello, my name's Russell Howcroft. I've lived a lot of lives. I've been an ad man, a CEO, a chair, an author, a panelist, and I currently co-host a radio show on 3AW. And I'm partner and chief creative officer at The Sayers Group. And I'm host of this podcast. Welcome to Conversations, a Sayers podcast. Throughout my time, I've learned that so much in life starts with, yep, a good conversation. And that's what we're going to do right here today. Jane Tewson, CBE, is a connector of people. In the 1980s, she co-founded Comic Relief, which saw British comedy royalty gather around Jane and her partner's vision of a world free from poverty. This spawned Red Nose Day and launched Jane to the top of the world, where she is known to grab influential figures and ignite them with a burning passion for the service of our global community. Today, Jane runs a deliberately small charity called Igniting Change here in Melbourne. I want to hear more about the work they're doing and their philosophy. Jane, welcome to our conversation. Thank you, Russ. Good to be here. It's so good that you're here now. I'm just an ignorant Aussie. So I I see CBE and I think I I know what that is. But am I right in thinking that is an order of the British Empire? It's a commander of the British Empire. It's, well, because the C. Commander. It would, be, it would be OBE if it was an order, and it would be an MBE if it was a member, but it's a, it's a commander, which I think is right up there, isn't it? Yeah. In, so you're, you're a knight? No, I'm not a knight. So it's below knight? It's below knight. But above MBE? Yeah. Because uh, you've got MBE. In, what order is it? I don't it? know. I don't know. I'm not into these things. But it's... <laughs> I mean, that was something that I accepted because everything I've done is teamwork. Yeah. And the team just loved it. I bet. really excited by it. Oh, absolutely. Can I tell you a story? Please. So the day I was meant to go up and receive the CBE from the Queen, I got my glad rags on, Mm -hmm. beautiful, you know, bright blue silk dress, and my my son was coming with me, my mum and my husband. And I picked my son up and put him into my arms, and he was probably three, I think. And he said, Mum, I feel sick. Oh, great. And he was sick all over me. (laughs) So anyway, (laughs) left him behind, got some rags on, went up there. And in fact, it wasn't the Queen. She was was on one. It was Prince Charles, who I knew. And he he said, where's Charlie? And I said, he was sick on me, so he wasn't able to come. So anyway, I got my medal and everything, went home. And then the following week, there was a call from Charles, and he said... Is Charlie better? Would he like to come to Mama's birthday? Oh, not really. So little Charlie, aged three years old, went up. I then got sick, so he went up with his godfather. That's, that's a lovely story. That is a that's a cracking story. Mm. And in fact, Prince Charles, lot, there does tend to be lots of good stories that tend to surface about him. I mean, in particular, I just think he's been he's been right ahead of the game when it comes to, to sustainability. He has, and I think the great thing about all the members of the royal family I've worked with is their listeners and they're curious. Mm. And if you say, why don't you come and meet the people that you're supporting, they're right in there. Mm. So I did quite a lot with Princess Diana. We used to go to the night shelters at night and she'd talk with homeless people. And they knew exactly who she was. She knew who they were. And as I said to you just now, we're all just water. There was no game playing. They were just there because they were fascinated by each other. It's funny, I I used to work in the UK and I was told by um, a, a boss... Uh, a, a um, woman that I just really, you know, loved. And she said to me, you know, Russell, you've got two ears and you've got one mouth and you have to use them in that proportion. And then I hear that that's very much your philosophy. I have to work that one out. Two years, one mouth. Two ears. Two ears. ears. You see, I heard you. 
because I'm nervous. Two, I heard them. Two, two ears, yeah, one mouth, and you have to use them in that proportion. So I know you're nodding now because you agree with that, and I thought, well, this, we're going to be in trouble here because if I'm using two ears and one mouth and you're using two ears and one mouth, then we're only going to have half a chat. So that's no good. So I thought we need to find some atmosphere. So we're going to play some sounds to you. I just want you just to relax into these sounds, and then we're going to pick the one that just appeals to you most for a conversation. So, Jane, we've got fire and we have a beach and we've got a bar and a boat and the woods. The woods? The bush. Oh, woods, maybe, given that you come from the Northern Hemisphere. Mm. The split between the water and the woods, but definitely the, the birds singing. Yeah, it's lovely, isn't it? It's beautiful. Okay, so we'll, we'll go to the woods then. It's well, we'll go to a garden, maybe. Yeah, we're in a garden. Beautiful trees in there. Okay, we're in, in a garden, garden with beautiful trees. I was hoping you were going to pick bar because whenever I think about... Um, <laughs> That lovely UK atmosphere, I, I do love going there. And I think one of the reasons why I love going there is it, it, it's full of conversations, but you, you'll walk past a bar and invariably you'll hear people laugh. There's something about, there's something about that culture of the willingness to laugh and enjoy a good laugh, and somehow I think you manage to connect that to red nose to the red nose day, the red nose appeal. Have I got that completely wrong, or was it that a big part of the success of it? Just this, you tapped into a culture that is quite happy to enjoy itself. Yeah, I think it was a culture that was happy to enjoy itself, but was also happy to listen, and also wanted to do something to make a difference. Mm. And it happened at a time when there were increasing numbers of homeless people on the streets in London, and just after Live Aid, so we knew what was going on in Africa. But in everything I've done always and today, you know, my days are full of joy, but they're also full of tears and frustration. But joy is so important. Happiness, laughter, it's absolutely crucial. So Red Nose, um, again, when I, well, what year did Red Nose start? You're asking someone who's hopeless about my past life. It seems like yesterday, but I, I set up a, a charity before Red Nose Day, mm -hmm. so it was probably 1986, I think, yeah. when we had... Cliff and the Young Ones launched really Red Nose Day. Yeah. And was Red Nose understood? So the notion of comic relief, was it understood immediately by the public what you were what you were trying to do? And did they get behind it, you know, en masse immediately? Crazily behind it. I remember going to my board and saying that we'd had the idea of uh, introducing a red nose and uh, they said, no way are we going to put up any financial money, you know, for red noses. So I do what I, I did what I normally do, which is then I went and found a sponsor to sponsor the red noses and went back to my board and said, well, there's no, we're not going to lose anything financially. Can we do it? And the other thing about my work is I really believe in transparency. Yeah. It's really important to share with people how much money from a product is going to the charity. Mm -hmm. And it's really important to share what the charity is about. It's no good if people go to a fundraising dinner and they leave not knowing what it's about. I think that's a huge failure. Yeah. Because we need to understand why people live in such challenging situations. I couldn't agree with you more with regard to the transparency with the money 
the money that goes into charities and then understanding how many so of that let's call it one hundred dollars how many of those dollars are actually on the street or you know providing the relief providing the promise so is there a, is there a rule of thumb around that no because I think that you need to interrogate and and, and interrogate the transparency of what people are saying. And I think if you pay a lot of money to have a well-run charity, it's probably well worth it. But much more important than that, to me, is to ensure that charities are consulting with the people who are experiencing the issues that they're there to support. Mm. And I think that's key. How can it, my, my working life started? Because I had involvement with children with Down syndrome, and I just found their beauty, their spontaneity, their joy. For me, it was just... They enriched my life. Mm-hmm. So when I started working with an organisation that supported people with Down syndrome, there was a picture of a little boy. Uh, their emblem was a little boy crying. And I knew that was absolutely fundamentally wrong. Mm. And how can any organisation operate without knowing who their clients are? Uh, but presumably charities will try and use, um, they'll try and use tears uh, in order to... Well, because they believe it's going to get more money out of the wallet. I presume that's why they do it. Yeah, and what we proved at Comet Relief is that's not so. If you show the stories about why people in Africa are so damn poor, don't show a starving child. I mean, that, for me, it was used to really upset me. But, but when we showed the positive images and we told the stories behind the people, that inspired more money. So I was privileged to work with Anthony Mangala, one of the great film directors of our time, who truly madly deeply, and Captain Corona's Mandarin, and he was brilliant at at talking with people and then making these little two-minute films, vignettes, giving them their own voice. It was so beautiful. So um, Red Nose Day, did you do a telethon? Wouldn't have called it a telethon, because Mm. when we started, it was all about making documentaries of the BBC and feeding back to the public about where the money was going and why there was a need to support people in Africa, why there was a need to support people with disabilities. But again, with we'd always have people talking for themselves. So one of the things that we worked through with the BBC was ensuring that there were subtitles when African people spoke and that if we were talking about people with disabilities, people with disabilities spoke. Mm-hmm. And then another thing was we put around the Comet Relief Funding was we weren't going to support any organisation that didn't have a representation of people with disabilities on, on their board. Yeah. Then we didn't get any applications for a while. Uh-huh. But now? It's different. I would think it would be. It's very different, but it's not. It's different, and I think a lot's to be said for Dylan and his work here. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's the same for people experiencing homelessness, uh, so, for so, example. So when you say Dylan, you mean Dylan Orcott? Yes, I yeah. do. So are you yes. doing some work with Dylan now? No, but I'm aware of what he's done, and mm. he's just a great inspiration. What's the new campaign? Is it called The 15? I think there's a new campaign called The 15, which is about... So 15% of the global population have some form of yeah. disability, and, it's, and literally it's a global yeah. platform designed... For us all to recognise, hang on, 15%, that, mm. that's a lot of talent out there that we need to be engaging. Actually, sure. I think I'm pretty sure that Dylan's been doing that. So in my, uh, just a memory, I just want you to confirm whether this is true or not, a, a, a memory from many, like 30 years ago, when you were raising money, Red Nose, you had a split screen and on the, one, on one, on the right-hand side of the screen was Tom Jones and on the other side <laughs> of the screen was Lenny Henry <laughs> <laughs> and they were both dancing, 
and you had to dial in to say who you thought was the best dancer. And as, and and then somehow there was a, there was raising money attached to that idea. I remember that. That was a Richard Curtis piece of brilliance. Right. So tell that is true. What I just it articulated. Is true. Yeah. 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 And, and it did resonate with me because I thought they're having fun and they're engaging the audience, and as a result, creating something amazing. Absolutely. But then after Lenny and Tom doing the striptease, I can't. I, one of the shows I, I remember them doing that. Thrusting. It was a thrusting. Yes. But then after that, there would be a film from Africa yeah. with African people talking about why Comet Relief was so important yes. and what it was enabling them to do. So it's really, I think you have to do the fundraising alongside the awareness raising. And so Comet Relief, um, just to, how big did it get? Very big. Yeah. Far too big for me. <laughs> <laughs> a so country bumpkin being CEO of an organisation with, you know, over 100 million at that stage, but it's raised a billion pounds to date. And, it's and so it's still going? It's still going. How many countries? Can't answer that one. But a lot. A lot, yeah. yeah. And I, so how does that work? Is it is it run out of a central office or is it, in effect, franchised? No, it's not franchised. It's mm -hmm. run out of a central office. Okay, and it all has the same purpose? Yeah, but I'm a great believer, so I've set up, five organisations today, and I'm a great believer when you leave, you leave, and you let the next generation take over. Right. You don't want to hang around. There's nothing as bad as founders hanging around, which you know all about that. So um, speaking of Lenny Henry and Tom Jones, now Cliff Richards, he, he had, what was he up to? Cliff Richards inspired the young ones, and uh, we got them singing a song together, which was great fun. That was one of the first things we did pre-Comic Relief being launched, okay. a live show okay. at the Theatre Royal. And then... Eddie Days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you mentioned Princess Diana earlier. And um, and so... And Elvis Costello. What, what did they do? Yeah, Elvis Costello was a... Uh, it was very moving. We took him down to meet with some children with Down syndrome who were mm -hmm. working on a farm. And I just remember him and Mel Smith. Do you remember Mel from the Not That I Can't Use? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we went down, and I just remember there was this wonderful moment. We were sitting around a fire. There were probably about 15 or 16 children, all with Downs. And Elvis was playing his guitar, and then he just gave his guitar to one of the young people who started playing. And yeah. It was something, uh, it was an amazing moment. I bet that, was, that sounds very powerful. Um, but I guess building on that... Mm -hmm. Is why I feel it's so important with anyone that's involved with us now, with Igniting Change or Comic Relief, was that they came out and they met the people that we set up the organisation to support. That's key to everything we do. Don't do it removed from the very people who are at the heart of the organisation. Okay, so five organisations. So we've got Comic Relief, we've got Igniting Change, so at either end, I'm assuming. So what, what have you done in between? So there was a little organisation called Charity Projects that gave birth to Comic Relief. And that went for about three years and we worked with people like Douglas Adams from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, who's sadly no longer with us. Um, worked with a range of people before setting up Comic Relief and then from Comic Relief, oh, memory's so shot, uh, from Comic Relief we set up an organisation called Time Bank, which was rebranding um, volunteering, which ah, was really good. That sounds good. Then set up an organisation called Pilot Light, which was really interesting. And again, that was exciting because it was a time where I was really conscious that people weren't talking to the people they needed to be about policy making. Mm -hmm. So stumbled into a relationship with Gordon Brown and Number 10 Downing Street 
and encourage them to meet the people that they were making policies about. So we had great fun taking 12-year-old pregnant mothers in to Downing Street, yeah. and they met with the cabinet and they talked. And Gordon would say that changed the face of policy making. So you were very much the bridge, the bridge from the, what was happening on the streets yeah. into the politicians, into policy. Yeah, we. Re- I think now what I love doing is we're the bridge between people affected by an issue and people mm. who want to help. Yeah. And then when you put them together, it's igniting change by combining extraordinary lives. It's explosive. And so tell me, um, obviously only one individual's got so only you've only got so many hours in the day to be that bridge. So with igniting change, is there? Do you use technology in any way to sort of connect a problem with a solution? We do, and it's very supportive of us all the time. Yep, <laughs> yeah. and I'm getting better at it. Yeah. But we've got a great team around us. Mm-hmm. Although there are only three of us as the core team, we must have, probably now, there'll be 20 people working with Igniting Change, and they're all people at the top of the, you know, they're brilliant, like the cans who did our notebook, note, notebook, and introducing QR codes and making films for us of the people that we work with. Can I have a look at that? So McCann McCann did that for you? Yeah. Yeah, lovely. Oh, yes, I've seen this. It's very good. Now, agencies, uh, that agencies is something I'm very interested in, have been for a long time. Sachi and Sachi, did they give you a hand early days? What are you <laughs> yeah. yeah. When I had the idea for charity projects, the first charity I wanted to set up, and I was, you know, I'm from the country, I wasn't well connected, I was a real country bumpkin, I'd failed all my exams. You know, life was pretty tough, but I had this dream of setting up a new charity, and I'd read in the paper that, you know, the Sachi's brothers were the head of the game, so I oh, thought, yeah. okay, I'll go to Sachi brothers and I'll tell them what I want to do, and... I'll ask them to fund my wage. So I went in there and uh, two days later, you know, they were like, who that? Yeah. Who's she? Anna Charlotte Street? In Charlotte Street. Oh, yeah. yeah. Used to love going in there. How good. And in fact, they didn't see me, but I saw Tim Bell. Oh, they were the or Lord days. Tim Bell now. Lord Tim Bell, days. who's sadly now dead. Uh, is he? Yeah, he died about a year ago. Oh, gosh. But dear Tim, and the, uh, I went to see Tim and he said, oh, for God's sake, here's 12000 a year, go and do it. Yeah. And I went back into Sarches about... 12 years ago, and the receptionist jumped over the, oh. literally jumped out and said, Jane, how great to see you. Well, they are, um, they are important, aren't they, in, in sort of the pursuit of, you know, let's call it charity, or, you know, changing society even. Agencies do play a role. The agencies we've worked with, and I mean, Kimberly Wells at TBWA and yeah, Ben from Hero and mm-hmm. your son and his team, you know, they're champions. And, mm. and what's great about them, they're listeners. And they've all been out and spent time with us, visiting the projects, visiting the people that we support, spending time in Alice Springs, sitting with their bums in the sand, just listening and watching and learning. And they've really put their heart and soul behind us. And, yeah, the ad agencies here have been phenomenal. So, um, And they never charge. I mean, we can't yeah, pay. Yeah, right. So they just, you know, they know that and they really want to create awareness. It's not about raising money. It's about creating awareness. Uh, only because I'm very interested. I'm not so sure whether listeners will be interested. Tell me about Tim Bell. Tim Bell, he had a great instinct, Tim. Yeah. Uh, I know he worked for Maggie Thatcher and people say, you know, they're a pretty, and he's done some, you know, not such so many good things, but mm. he backed his instinct. And when I walked in there at a 23-year-old and didn't know anyone, he w- it was so empowering. He said, go and do it, come back when you've done it. And by the way, here's an office in Darbley Street. You can have that as well, which was an old brothel. So it was a very appropriate place for 
for us to be, and it was a lot of fun. He was he was terrific. Yeah. Or maybe for the listeners, just those that don't know, so you had the Saatchi brothers, Saatchi and Saatchi, mm-hmm. and then they had um, their CEO, let's just call T- Lord Tim Bell, Lord Bell that. He became a lord in the end, uh, and he was a big part of the story, the Saatchi story. I mean, and really in a decade they became the largest agency network in the world mm. um, with a man called Martin Sorrell as the, as, the, as the money man. Extraordinary story. Extraordinary story. So you know how to pick good partners. Yeah, I'm not, I reckon I haven't got my main talent is my instincts. Yep. And when you spot someone and it works, it just works. And the ad agencies... In London, M.T. Rainey. I don't know whether you know I her. do know. I do know M.T. I mean, she's a complete champion. Yes. Just like Kimberly is. And they were feisty, powerful. Not dissimilar, those two. No, not dissimilar. I've been trying to put them together. Yeah. No, they, they yeah. would... Who knows what would happen as a result of those two getting together. That's a very good idea. I hope she's coming out soon. Really? Yeah, she's a great friend. So we had Christmas with her two years ago. Fantastic. Yeah. So books. What have you done on the book front? Books. So everything we do is about trying to give people their own voice, mm-hmm. which we do with Small Ways to Shape Our World. We went out and we met with ice addicts and we said, what's your one message that you'd like to share? And they said, Jane, no kid dreams of becoming a drug addict. Mm. Really powerful. That is very powerful. With homeless people, and this is Kimberly Wells did this book. Mm. Homeless people, is, it was, you know, we're homeless but we're not nameless. Yes, lovely. So really... Yep. Um, that's one of the books that's called Small Ways to Shape Our World, trying to bring awareness. And then, sadly, I've had quite a lot of death around me in my life, mm-hmm. and people don't know how to talk about it. So very early on in my journey here in Melbourne, I thought, wouldn't it be great to do a book about bringing death to life, dying to know, and got in touch with Andrew Knight, who I'm sure you know, and Andrew Anastasius with the support of... Michael Hirsch and other people that I know you really well, and we put this book together. And I'm it's probably it's probably one of the things I'm most proud of okay. of my working life. It's really bloody brilliant. So does that help people have the death conversation? It does a multitude of things. I think. I mean, one of the pages I got here, I'm showing it to you now. Is mm-hmm. you know why do some cultures have elders but others have the elderly? <laughs> Good question. Good question. Yeah. I mean, we shun our older people away. We hide them. Why do we do that? I don't know, because they've got this wealth of knowledge. Mm. and it, It's crazy. But also I remember Jim Steins, what he gave us a page, and it's, you know, uh, where's it gone? So Jim, of course, well... The well-known... The yeah. well-known Jim. Brilliant man, such a kind yes. man. Look, there's a photo of him up there on the wall. Oh, <laughs> there you go. Uh, it, it, anyway, it's about... You know, it's, it's, it's about how you lead your life. It's the dots in between that really matter. Yes. But I think at the end too, and I've, I've just been doing my will again as well, it's crazy. We, leave, we go to the lawyer, mm. we write our will, and it's all about money. <laughs> yes. But when you're gone, what, I mean, you know, what about your favourite joke or your favourite um, Yeah, the, this is painting. a book I'm going to miss. I love it. Yeah. <gasps> oh. That was Andrew Knight. I thought it was That's really brilliant, clever. brilliant, isn't it? Yes, that is really, really good. It's here... Is there a website for that one? Uh, it's on the Igniting Change website. Okay, yeah. that's a very clever so, idea. I mean, it's... So why are we no good with our elderly? Is it because we're not curious? We've stopped listening. We're not curious. People think they know the answers. I don't know. All that wisdom that's there. Mm. 
<laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> we leave we lead such frantic lives as well. Well, thankfully, that frantic life that that is something that I think has changed. The pace of life has changed, I think, quite a lot over the last twenty months. It's revving up again, though, isn't it? <laughs> Pretty fast. <laughs> It is revving up, but I think maybe in a different way. But I'm not sure. What about for you? We're pretty full on at the moment. Are you? Yeah. You're dealing with a lot? Dealing with a lot. Are you dealing with new things? New things and old things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, new things and old things. We're, we've got these um, bracelets at the moment. Mm-hmm. We're trying to promote greater kindness and greater curiosity. So we've worked with Kitex, who's a designer, and then with some... Um, Artisans in Cambodia who create things out of exploded landmines, oh. and they've all been impacted by exploded landmines. And then refugees here have put the the cord together, and then um, children at Giant Skep School, children with autism. Yep. Here they are. I show you. I, I, I love them. Oh, I thought there wasn't going to be one in there. Some of them are bright green. This oh yeah, lovely. Just a just a, a, a gentle nudge. Yeah, great. That's all we're trying to do. Remember yeah. to be kind. It's so simple. The notion of a nudge is actually very interesting, isn't it? So, I mean, there's plenty of science around that too, right? Yeah. So, Rory Sutherland, I'm sure you would have met Rory Sutherland. No. No, he's a... He's a I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> I'll write down the name. Yeah, write down the name. Well, he's an Englishman. He lives in the UK and he does a lot of behavioural economics. He's the, he's, the, oh, yeah. he's the chair of Ogilvy, the Ogilvy Group. And I'm... I reckon you would have met him along the way. <laughs> Who were you working with when you were in the UK? I was at Low Howard Spink. Really? Yeah. So there was, so they were very hot in the period that I was happened to be there. Nothing to do with me. And they did a lot with us as well, yeah, um, trying to think who we worked so with. So Frank Lowe yes. was, of course, and Jeff Howard Spink. Yes. Um, creative director with Adrian Holmes, Paul Weinberger. Uh, Tim Lindsay? Yeah, Tim, Tim Lindsay Tim was Lindsay. there. Yes, yes, that's right. That's um, and Tim... He might have come from Saatchi, I think. Not sure. I can't remember. No, that's a, well another very successful advertising person. You know, and Lowe's were amazing in that late eighties to the mid nineties period. They were, and they were all. I mean, I got an email quite recently from Tim. They were all so supportive at the yes. initial setting up of Comic Relief. They couldn't have been more helpful because I was forever running in, say, "Can you frank our mail? Can you have you got a computer? How do I do this? What yeah. do I do?" And they were just so walking alongside us. Well, Lowe's was always it was also famous for its toilets. And um, do you remember the, the cabbies, the London cabbies, would park <laughs> in the bottom of Bowwater House, and forty minutes later they'd emerge from the loo. You know, it, was, it was their go-to place. I love it. <laughs> so earlier. Um, before we turn the microphones on, you were talking about um, assistance comes from surprising places. Tell, tell me what you mean by that. It takes me back. I had a brush with ovarian cancer and uh, I was in hospital and it was pretty, you know, it was awful. And the person who gave me the most support was the auxiliary nurse who'd just come in and massaged my feet. <laughs> and it's just amazing when you're a little bit down where... Yeah. Where the support can come from. Did you read? Um, there was an article in the Australian this weekend about David, the the couple, the um, two chaps that uh, looked after David David Gulpil and a nurse, and they were talking about cutting his nails and holding his hands. It was, <laughs> it was, the most glorious thing. 
it. So beautiful. Yeah, I did. It's just yeah. I, I think mean, it's touch so, it, is so important. Yeah. Touch is everything. Yeah. Right. And connection. And they said, and we tried to make it as gentle as possible and as beautiful as we could, as he was, you know, exiting. Over, over, over quite a long time, actually. David was um, diagnosed, I think, maybe six yeah, years ago with, time, with some yeah. cancer that was going to get him. Um, and then in the end it did. But it was just these, these lovely people that just devoted their, their time and their energy towards giving him a beautiful place, you know, in his final months. Pretty good, eh? There's some amazing people around. I exactly. mean, I often... I mean, I wish I could have done the work that I see people doing that we support. So whether it's somebody working directly with dance with a child with Down syndrome or if it's somebody who's yep. experiencing homelessness. Emotion 21. Emotion 21, yep. yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Great. Kate, Kate amazing Kate. Yeah, yeah, incredible. Incredible. But that's all about connection. It's mm. all about touch. And it's those people at the grassroots that set... I mean, the hairs go up on the back of my arm. Last week we were with a young man who's working with people experiencing homelessness. He was just electric with his generosity, with his sensitivity. It was real. You could see it ran all the way through him. So that's what I love doing, finding those people and then just nurturing them. We put our arms around them. We financially support them. They know we're there. They can come into the office at any time. It's the biggest joy. It's just amazing to do it. I've just been, I was wondering, is there... I'm not sure that I've got this right, but is there a more important thing than respect that's really interesting so respect for the well for everyone for you for you know whomever is out there absolutely absolutely respect and curiosity my father used to say i'm going to try this one on you my father used to say everyone's balance sheet is exactly the same right so in the end you add up the assets the liabilities and the and the uh and the what's the P stand for in a, in a balance sheet? The proprietorship, the asset, the liability, and the proprietorship, and it all comes out about the same. Totally agree. It's like I said earlier, we're all water. <laughs> yes. That idea that anyone's any better than anyone else. It's nonsense, isn't it? Yeah, it's crap. Absolute nonsense. And everyone should remember it. Mm, yeah. And, and everyone should make sure that they spend time with someone that they wouldn't normally spend time with and to be curious about them. It's amazing what you learn. There's that extraordinary experiment with... Um, two people playing Monopoly, and they give a individual more than the other. And very soon, they start behaving in a particular way. It it is a game. It's horrendous. We do need to remember that, don't we? We do need to remember that. And now, we might just have a bit of audio, as I ask you. Um, Jane, why, how come Melbourne's so lucky to have you here? What a nice thing to say. Well... I came here kicking and screaming. I married an Aussie. Um, he was a professional footballer and he was a law, uh, a lawyer. And then I met him when he was a translator for one of our... He speaks fluent Swahili. So he was a translator on one of our BBC films. Fluent and Swahili. Uh-huh. Now, he's a lot more interesting than me, Russell. <laughs> it does like, sound like something after a big night out. You, you speak fluent Swahili, but he does it for real. He does it for real. And uh, anyway, when I interviewed him, my assistant said to me, you're going to marry him. And I said, oh, yeah. But it was true, I did. Oh. We married him quite late when I was 34. Mm-hmm. And I'm so lucky. I did come here kicking and screaming. I had the most 
idyllic life with a huge vegetable garden, living in the country. It's, it's pretty glorious. Around my friends. I'm mm. never happier than when I'm in the garden with my hands in the soil or mm. my bare feet on the ground. Mm. And it was, it was a really... Well, there was no decision to make because he was adamant he wanted to bring the boys up here. Okay. So I had no choice, really. And he was a human rights activist. There was a bit of a price on his head doing the work that he was doing. Mm-hmm. So it was the right thing to do. But I left a really comfortable, fa- a really large, happy family. Mm. Lots of us. So it was quite tough to begin with here. It would have when, been. When you, and because I'm very shy as well. And then I got sick, predictably. I yeah. think it was the... Yeah. the the pain of that year, but now I'm really happy and I'm really pleased that I did it. Like talking to you, I'm all about putting myself out of my comfort zone. I'm 63, but I still want to experiment. I still want to do things that I've never done. I want to go on the zip line. I want, you know, I want to have fun. Let's go on the zip line. <laughs> I want on. to have fun. Yeah. And I want to have a real and authentic life. And that's the joy of igniting change. We've got the most extraordinary group of people around us, and they're all authentic. I never go to dinner parties with them. We never have social cocktail parties, but they just get down and dirty with us. They're prepared to come out, meet the people, feel the issues, and take on a big challenge. And it's it's so exciting because it means we can keep small and we can keep pushing those boundaries and having fun. So, Jane, just um, tell us a story. Uh, give us an igniting change story that, you know, I, gosh, I was going to say that you're proud of, but is that a word that we use? Yeah, why not? I'm proud of this one. Um, (laughs) So Richard Branson's a supporter of Igniting Change. He's a very curious person, and he's a great listener. People find that hard to believe, but he's one of the the best listeners I know. Dyslexic? Dyslexic, like me, yeah. And when he comes to Melbourne, he tends to give me a call. Um, He wants to go and do something real. So when he, for the first time, I think, when he was in Melbourne, and I was here as well, I took him to Port Phillip Prison where we work with the youth unit there. Richard came in and like so many people who've been into that unit with me, say, I really want to employ young men like that. Mm. They are, they're creative, they're dynamic, they've made a mistake and we all make mistakes. But Richard really walks the talk. So he went back to London and he talked with Virgin Trains and he said, we need to employ people coming out of jail. We need those people. We need their spirit. We need their characters. And he's now employed well over 500. I don't know the exact figure, but it's probably many, many more, Mm. with great success. And the whole company is so proud of it. And, of course, you've got a loyal workforce. And, again, that comes back to see the person, not their label. Listen, give people opportunities. Don't judge. Igniting change. It's, uh, again, you're you're good at the marketing thing too, aren't you? No. I rely on people like you for the marketing. <laughs> it's a good name. It's, it's, a, a, it's a great name, isn't it? It's a really great name. It's very powerful, and I'm sure that it will continue to work brilliantly for you. It's not as good as the strap line that Kimberly Wells came up with, with yeah. Mark from Virgin, which is igniting change by combining extraordinary lives. Very good. I think that's really good. That really, when she got that, it was like, phew. <laughs> now I know a little bit of how to describe what we do. Fantastic. I love it. Good on you, Jane. It's great chatting to you. We really, really appreciate your time. I certainly appreciate your time. I'm sure everyone that's listened is thrilled to have heard a bit of your story. Thank you very much. Thank you, and I'm looking forward to taking you out on some adventures. (laughs) Beauty. (laughs) Here we come, prison.